And we just don't pray that as we open your word now, you'll be speaking through both your word and your spirit to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. When I'm driving in my car, and a man comes on the radio, he's telling me more and more about some useless info. Supposed to to find my imagination. I can't get no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Hey, hey, what shall I say? I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. When I'm watching my TV, and a man comes on to tell me how white my shirt can be, but he can't but he can't be a man if he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me. I can't get no, oh no, 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 hey, 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 what can I say? I can't get no satisfaction, I can't get no satisfaction, because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, I can't get no, etc., etc. If you, um, <laughs> you recognise that song, that's the Rolling Stones, and from 1965, um, I can't get no satisfaction. And even though it might have been released many, many, many years ago, it could be sung today, couldn't it? That's often how the world feels. That's often how we feel today. We can't get no satisfaction. We can't get satisfaction from the world. The plain truth is none of us would have any idea what we're looking for if Jesus had never shown us. We wouldn't get any satisfaction without Jesus. And the story we have this morning sees Jesus speaking to a woman at a well. She's looking for lots, but she's not found what she's looking for. She's looking for satisfaction in God, in relationships, but she hasn't found it. She still hasn't found what she's looking for. And Jesus treats her with a great sensitivity and tenderness, wonderful compassion and gentleness, while at the same time exposing her real needs even with the pain and hurt that goes along with that. Her one desire is to be satisfied at the deepest level and find what she's looking for. And in the end, Jesus shows her what that satisfaction is. So let's um, open the passage and have a look at what Jesus is saying about this satisfaction. Where can this woman get satisfaction? And where can we get satisfaction? So firstly, Jesus alone meets us where we are. Jesus alone meets us where we are. If you look down down at me at verse 3, you can see that Jesus is travelling from Judea to Galilee, and he chooses to go there via Samaria. Well, on a map, that's the quickest route, but most Jews, which Jesus was, didn't tend to go through Samaria, because the Samaritans, the Samaritans and Jesus did not, and the Jews did not get on together. So, but Jesus, on the other hand, goes straight through the area, straight, because he's got a meeting at a well with a woman. And G- verse 7, Jesus meets the woman at the well and asks her for a drink. Well, now we're breaking all the social norms. This shouldn't be happening. For the, to the first century readers and Jesus' first hearers, this shouldn't be happening. For starters, she is a woman. And in this culture, a man, especially a Jewish man, would not speak to a woman he did not know, especially not in the middle of the day. He just wouldn't do it. So you can see in verse 9 her shock that Jesus even considers speaking to her. Jesus meets us where we are. 
Secondly, the woman is not, she's not just a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. And for the Jews, they were the absolute last people that the, that the Jews would have anything to do with. They were people who had historically broken themselves off from God's people, from Israel. And they had gone to worship God somewhere else. Rather than worshipping God in Jerusalem, they had chosen to worship God on a mountain. And from that moment on, the Samaritans were the outcasts. They were the theologically liberal. On the one hand, they were multi-faith. They believed in all religions were legitimate. They worshipped Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. But they also worshipped other gods. They rejected the Old Testament of the Bible. And they only accepted the first five books. So they rejected the prophets, the Psalms, and all the other writings. And so the Jews just didn't get on with them. They were of a different religion. The Samaritans had turned their back on the true religion and were worshipping something else. So finally, this woman was not just a Samaritan. She was not just a woman. She was also a sexually permissive woman. She'd already got through five husbands, and she was onto her sixth man. She was not married. She was, he was just her lover, and she is a sinner. Most of the women who came to the well would do so first thing in the morning, in the cool of the day, or maybe the last thing at night in the afternoon, but not at high noon. No one goes out at high noon. Mad dogs and Englishmen, they say, not Samaritan women. They do not go out at high noon to collect water. It's the hottest day. Only the unrespectable would be out at that time. Only because you'd be too ashamed to go with everyone else. She's avoiding people. She's not the respectable person. But Jesus meets her. Jesus meets this unrespectable, this woman, this Samaritan. And Jesus meets her where she is. Jesus meets her where she is. And the great thing is Jesus meets us where we are. We all come with all sorts of baggage. We all come with all sorts of um, things that we've done. We said in the confession, didn't we? We confess our sins because we all commit sins. We all do things. But Jesus meets us where we are. And that's the great news about Jesus. So Jesus meets, we are, meets us where we are. Secondly, Jesus alone knows what we need. Jesus alone knows what you need. If you flick back a page, you'll see chapter 3 is all about Nicodemus. So if you know your John's Gospel, Nicodemus was a, um, a Pharisee. He was a, a religious Jew who, was always, who thought he was right with God. And these two stories are actually a pair that John puts together. The story of Nicodemus followed by the woman at the well. They're a pair. But the two stories can hardly be any more different. They've got, both got the same thing at the centre. Their deepest need is for Christ. Their deepest need is for the gift of the Spirit. But the people are completely different. So we know his name, Nicodemus. We have no idea of the name of this woman by the well. She's a nobody. He's a pure Jew. She's a Samaritan. He's a ruler in Jerusalem. She's a moral outcast. He's educated and learned. She's unschooled and illiterate. He's a powerful man. She has no influence whatsoever. He's highly and widely respected. She's deeply despised and even hated. He's theologically trained. She is theologically liberal. And each of us, no doubt, feel drawn to more one character or another. 
Maybe we're more feel joined join to the religious leader, or maybe we feel drawn to the um, woman who has nothing. But Jesus is drawn to both of those. Jesus cares for both, with the purest motives. He sees their need equally. He sees their need equally. He knows that neither of them fit into God's plan. Neither of them fit into have God on their own. However, like Nicodemus, this woman doesn't know what she's looking for yet. She doesn't know what she wants. This woman doesn't think that Jesus has anything to offer her. And that's where we get this whole misunderstanding about the um, water with the well. Verse 11, the well is deep and you don't have a bucket. She has no idea what Jesus is going on about when he talks about water. She's also probably used to men not delivering on their promises. She's so inclined to dismiss Jesus, to see him as irrelevant, to see him as unable to deliver what she needs. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're even greater than Jacob, who built this well? You don't really have anything to offer me, do you, Jesus? Verse 12, she says. But Jesus does have something to offer. Jesus does have something to meet her needs, to meet her satisfaction. She has, he has living water to offer this woman. He has the gift of God to offer her. And this woman doesn't get it. She's thinking about real water. She's thinking that Jesus is offering her a way to get water without ever having to go to the well. I mean, she probably thinks that's quite a good idea, isn't it? We can turn on our taps now and we get water. We don't have to go to a well. But in those days, they didn't. They had to go to the well. And she would have loved to have running water in her house. And that's what she thought Jesus was offering her. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get what she needs. But to really understand what Jesus is offering her, you really need to understand the Old Testament. If you go back to the Old Testament and explore what it says about the whole idea of our thirst and our desire for satisfaction, you see again and again in the prophets, God grieves for his people who reject them. We had that in our reading in Jeremiah. He grieves about what they've done, their search for satisfaction in other places apart from him. We got that in our Old Testament reading. So from Jeremiah on the screen. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So rather than getting their satisfaction from God, the spring of living water, they've neglected God and tried to get their satisfaction from other means. They've rejected the spring of living water and have gone to cisterns elsewhere. And this is what the woman has done in John chapter 4 with her five husbands. That's her problem. Her need is to be loved. She's been searching for the satisfaction. And this is what Jesus can offer her, the satisfaction. That's why she's gone through so many men. She's need, her needs. But it's the same with us today. It could be that you've never let God be your satisfaction. It could be that God has never been allowed to enter your life. It could have been that you've lived your whole life trying to get satisfaction from various different things, from other things apart from God, other things apart from Christ. Yet only Christ can give us living water. Only Christ can quench our thirst. Only Christ can give us our satisfaction. Jesus alone knows what we need. Jesus alone gives us that satisfaction. And so if you've never let Jesus give you that satisfaction, if you've never let Jesus give you, meet your needs, then make sure you do. Or maybe you have had satisfaction through Christ, but are thinking of trying something else. 
Maybe you want to dig your own cisterns and see if there's satisfaction somewhere else, somewhere away from the church, somewhere away from God's. Maybe money might be your satisfaction, the desire to earn more, the worship of money. And so as you do that, it gets harder and harder to neglect God and church. Maybe an outside activity is your satisfaction. Maybe playing football or going for cycling on a Sunday morning. Maybe that's where you get your satisfaction from. You're so busy trying to get your satisfaction, your worth from doing something else, that you forget to come to Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus, as Jesus talks to this woman, it's clear he's not just talking about material satisfaction, but he's talking about something far more permanent than that. He's talking about eternal satisfaction, eternal life. And through that, the Spirit, the very life of God, his Spirit living in each one of us, his Spirit living in every single Christian here today. His Spirit poured out to all of those who come to get faith. And giving us this Spirit, we're told that we'll be like springs of living water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus alone meets us where we are. Jesus alone meets our needs. And thirdly, it's through Jesus alone where we truly worship. Through Jesus alone where we truly worship. So the conversation moves on between Jesus and the woman. From talk of eternal life and living water, from talk of the spirits to the nature of true worship. The woman has understood by this stage. She's got it. She's understood her need for God. She's understood that she can only get satisfaction through following God, through worship him, through receiving his spirits. But now she realizes she needs to get her worship sorted out. If she's going to meet, if, she's, if God meets her needs, then she needs to know how to worship God. In verse 20, the woman asks where people ought to worship, either on Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans worshipped, or in Jerusalem, where the Jews worshipped. What is the right place to worship? Well, Jesus' answer is that it's irrelevant. Worship is completely irrelevant. God is a place that has been superseded. I wonder what you think is better. An LP or a tape? I wonder what you think is better, an LP or a tape. When we were growing up, we used to have those sort of arguments. Old people would say, oh, LP is better because the sound quality is better. And we would say, oh, no, a tape because you put it in a Walkman and you can go round. You can't carry a walk an LP around with you. We don't mind about sound quality. It's all about conven- the convenience. But of course, those arguments are completely irrelevant nowadays. No one has those arguments nowadays. Since the CD has come along, they've replaced both of those. And now with MP3s, CDs are going out the window too. It's irrelevant now. People don't have those arguments. Things have moved on. And it's the same with um, this argument over where people should worship, where where people should worship. Verse 23, Jesus says it has to be true worship. It's not, it's not, he's not keen on worship just for the sake of worship. He's keen on true worship. And the true worship is in spirit and in truth. If Jesus is to meet our need, we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that is all to do with Jesus. That's how we worship. It is he who is offering the woman the gift of the spirit so that she can worship God. He is the one who is the truth. So in knowing him, she truly knows God. To worship God in spirit and in truth is to worship God 
as Christ. So there's no longer a question of where you worship God that matters, whether it's on a mountain in Samaria or in, the, or in a temple in Jerusalem. It's not where, it's how you worship God. So we often get this wrong, don't we? We often talk about our places of worship, don't we? If you look at a map down places of worship, there's all these little maps and churches on the maps, and that's where people go to worship God. That's how often we think, isn't it? But no, under, on a map, under places of worship, it should just say, Jesus Christ. There should be no grid references. We just come to worship in Jesus Christ. We even talk about coming to church to worship, don't we? What do you think we've been spending the rest of our week doing? We don't come to church to worship. We worship God throughout the whole week, wherever we are, in our hearts, through the spirits. And then we meet as his people to continue that worship as a group. We don't come to church to worship. We worship throughout the week and only meet once a week or more often to worship as a group. Often we can be more concerned whether churches are full liturgy or no liturgy. Whether hymns are modern or hymns are ancient. I'm not saying that anything goes when it comes to worship. Worship has to be true worship in spirit and in truth. But the ideal location to do business with God is not in a place. It's with a contrite and broken heart, a repentant heart. A person who comes to God because he knows or she knows that he has nowhere else to go to find satisfaction is a way to worship God. So to finish, I don't know if Mick Jagger is sitting in the congregation. I don't think so. But if he had just read chapter 4 before singing, I can't get no satisfaction, then that song would have a completely different ending. Because he would know that Jesus meets us where we are. That Jesus is the one who meets our needs, who fulfills our satisfaction. And that Jesus is the one that we worship through in spirit and in truth. Here's the living water. Here's what we thirst for. Here's what we should be drinking. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are living water. We thank you that it's through you that we um, worship in spirit and in truth. That you sent your spirits to meet our need, to give us satisfaction. And we just pray, Lord, that you would come and meet us where we are. That you would give us the satisfaction that we need to know and to worship you. In Jesus' name, Amen.